This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. Hi, everyone, and welcome to 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. The two Golden Age radio shows, Escape and Suspense, were radio's leading anthology series of high adventure and drama with Escape airing on CBS Radio from July 7, 1947 to September 25, 1954, and Suspense continued to 1962. These two shows presented great American-made radio drama, which became the foundation for TV. Radio, as you know, is purely acoustic, with no visual component, and it relied on great scriptwriters and actors to enable the listeners to imagine the characters and the story. It was high drama, great acting, and terrific stories. As one of the shows say, all designed for you from the four walls of today. Here we offer the very best of escape and suspense. We hope you enjoy this week's presentation. And if you do, send us a kind review for 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. And now, our two stories. Escape! Escape tonight to the China Seas in Typhoon. The Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations presents Escape, a new series of programs of which this, the fourth, is Typhoon by Joseph Conrad, produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Of all the great authors who wrote of the sea, none so captured the wonder and the horror of it as did Joseph Conrad. Tonight, we escape to the China Seas in his great story, Typhoon, told in the words of a certain Mr. Jukes, chief mate of the China coast steamer Nan Shan, a young man of very remarkable perceptions. I've been sailing the China Sea long enough to see some strange and terrible things, but nothing as bad as that was. Why, God himself forgot us, and the whole blinking universe set out to do us in that night. It was the... Oh, but that comes later. I guess you can't really understand what happened on board the Nanshan without knowing something about our skipper, Captain McWhir. Stupid McWhir, I called him. And after sailing with him for three years, I ought to know what I'm talking about. Why, I tagged him right off, first day he came aboard to take command. In Liverpool it was, and Mr. Siggs, who was one of the owners, was showing him around the deck. There's no more modern ship afloat. I might say again that you've come to us very highly recommended, Captain McQuarr. We've a great deal of confidence in you. Uh Thank you, Mr. Siggs. She's a brand new ship and a good ship. There's no reason why you shouldn't continue in command of her as long as you like. Hmm, well, that's, uh, that's fine. She'll be the smartest thing afloat in the China trade. 
Why, she's put together like a Swiss watch. Precision built from stem to stern. Wait, uh, just a minute, Mr. Singh. What is it? That lock. Lock? What lock? Here, on the cabin door. What about it? You'll notice how it's been set in the frame, somewhat cocked at an angle. The ship starts rolling a bit, and the first thing you know, it snaps open and leaves the door swinging. It really should be fixed, Mr. Siggs. That's Captain McWhirr, the best berth he'd ever had. New command, a brand new ship. But instead of pinching himself to see if he's awake, he complains about a lock on the cabin door. See what I mean? Captain McWhirr, I I see what you mean. I'll have it attended to right away. I I think you'll do all right. Thank you, Mr. Siggs. Well, everybody knows what the China coast is. You haul out of Bangkok for a quick run up to Singapore and then shove off for Hong Kong. Two days ashore, and you do it all over again. Three years of it. Three years of heat, smells, weather, copra, silk, and tea. Along in there somewhere, the owners decided to transfer the ship's registry to the Siamese flag. Don't ask me why. They just did, that's all. Anyway, I can tell you I didn't like it. When you grow up under the Union Jack, you figure to go on sailing under it. Not that the skipper, of course, could understand that kind of a feeling. Oh, no. Not old stupid McWhirr. Aye? What is that, Mr. Jukes? They uh, just sent the new flag out from shore, sir. Here it is. Oh, fine, fine. Unroll it. Let's have a look. Ah, yes. In my opinion, sir... It's a queer kind of flag for a man to sail under. Oh? And what's the matter with it? Well, it uh, just looks queer to me, that's all. Well, now, let's see. A white elephant on a red field. Oh, just a minute. I'll look it up in the book. Hmm. Yeah, here we are. Siam. White elephant on a field of bright red. Length exactly twice the breadth. So. Well, there's nothing wrong with this flag, Mr. Jukes. Oh, isn't there? Not a thing. I hardly thought there could be. After all, these people ought to know how to make their own flag. It stands to reason. Does it now? You must have it confused with some other flag, Mr. Jukes. Well, all I can say is... Of course, you'll have to take care of the seamen don't hoist the elephant upside down. That is before they're quite used to it. I... I presume it might be taken for a signal of distress... And in that case, uh, well, the way I see it, that elephant stands for something like the nature of a Union Jack in the British flag. Oh, you think so? Well, it's like a bloomin' Noah's Ark, that's what it is. Mr. Jukes. I'm sorry, sir. I can't see where the color of a flag could anywise affect the navigation of a ship. I... All right, sir, I'll instruct the hands. It'd certainly be a most distressful sight to see that elephant hoisted upside down. Well, that was Captain McWhirr. Couldn't get a thing through his head if you drew him a picture. And that's the skipper we had to sail under on the maddest, wildest trip that any coaster ever took. We were loading out in Singapore. Half the cargo had already come aboard. The sun was blazing and the smoke from our stacks hung over the decks like a blanket. The Nanshan's winches puffed away aft. 
cargo chains creaked and clattered across the combings. I was in the waist supervising the loading when Mr. Rout, the chief engineer, came hey up there, to me. Hey there, Jukes. What's going on down there on the dock? Looks like a blooming army. Well, I don't know, Mr. Rout. Must be a mob of coolies on the move. Uh, here comes the captain. Could be some of his doing. Uh, Mr. Jukes. Aye, sir. Keep the fall between deck clear of cargo. There'll be 200 coolies coming aboard, and we'll plan to bunk them down there. Good Lord, where are they bound? Fu Chow. We'll have to put in there this trip. Yeah, but we're not fixed to handle passengers, sir. Oh, they'll bring supplies aboard with them. Every man's got a comfort wood chest, so you'll have to nail deck buttons down there to keep them from sliding. Yes, sir, I'll see to it. I've all been working on a plantation north somewhere. Two-year contract. They're dying to get home. It wouldn't have been quite right to turn them down. You may as well start them coming aboard, Mr. Jukes. All right, sir. Ollie number one, boy, Ollie same. Listen, you savvy, huh? Ollie fellow, catch him here, topside, catch him, step, step, bottom side, Ollie time, chop, chop. Single file now, one fellow, one time, all the time. What do you suppose they carry in those boxes? Oh, I suppose they're personal belongings, Mr. Jukes. And, of course, they're two years' pay in silver dollars. Well, they're as vicious a looking bunch of murderers as I've ever seen. Murderers? Oh, come now, Mr. Jukes. One or two of them, maybe. But in the main, I'd say they're honest workmen. Have to be to stick out a two-year contract on one of these plantations. Just the same, sir. We'd better not take any chances. Oh, I checked the lading weights carefully, Mr. Jukes. We can carry them without any overloading at all. I mean that... All right, sir. I'd better go hide the silverware in the officer's mess. Hmm. He's a hard lad to understand sometimes. I could say I had a premonition right then, and I wouldn't be lying. Anyway, that's how it started. At the hottest time of the year, 200 half-civilized coolies aboard, a captain with no more imagination than you could stick in your ear, we steamed out from Singapore and laid a course for the port of Fu Chow. Jukes, I don't like it. I don't like it a bit. Well, what don't you like about it, Mr. Rowe? Well, the looks of things. Something ominous about it. Oh, there's a bit of a swell running all right. There's not a breath of wind. It's uncommonly hot, that's all. It gives a man the jumps. <laughs> You're as bad as the second mate. He's been groaning around like the voice of doom all day. Well, uh, Mr. I don't Jukes. Know. Mr. Jukes! Oh, that's the old man. I'll see you later. Uh, keep your steam up, Mr. Rowe. Calling me, Captain? I was, Mr. Jukes. Uh, what was all the long conversation with Mr. Rout? Oh, I, why, nothing much, sir. I, I didn't see any harm in talking a bit. I'm not on watch, you know. Oh, no, no, nothing wrong with it, nothing at all. I just wondered what you could find to talk about. Well, uh, different things, I don't know. I've seen people on shore sit around a table and talk for two or three hours. I never could understand it. It's just conversation, that's all, about nothing in particular. Mm, seems pretty silly. Well, you've noticed the barometer, no doubt? Yes, sir, it's dropping. Falling fast. Quite low now. Take a look. I'll say it's dropping. Bad time of the year for that sort of thing. Very bad. Anything you want me to do, sir? Oh, no, no. 
Must be some uncommonly dirty weather knocking about somewhere. Hey, Mr. Jukes? Yes, sir. Well, uh, that's all. Just thought you ought to know about it, that's all. Uh, carry on, sir, carry on. Everyone, all right, mate. Uh, them coolies must be having a time of it down below. Lucky for them, the old girl rolls easier than any ship I've ever seen. Hey, you just wait. Oh, you think we may be in for it, huh? Oh, no. I don't think anything. You're not going to make a fool out of me that way, Mr. Jukes. I didn't say a word. What's the matter with you, second? Why shouldn't you say what you think if you're a mind? Oh, uh, no. You don't catch me. Whoa, there's another one. That's pretty rough. Now, whatever is about, we're steaming right into it. Ha! <laughs> you just try telling the old man that. And why shouldn't I? Matter of fact, I think I'll ask him about this cross swell. It's getting worse all the time. No, I've known skippers to break some right good men for saying a whole lot less. Uh, Captain McQuarrie. Ah, uh, yes, Mr. Jukes. What is it? The swell is getting a good deal worse, sir. Yes, I noticed that in here. Anything wrong? Well, I, uh, I was thinking about the passengers. Huh? What passengers? Why, the coolies, sir. Then if you mean coolies, say coolies, Mr. Jukes. A man ought to say what he means. What about the coolies? She's rolling her decks full of water, sir. I thought you might want to put her head at the swell for a bit, until this goes down, of course. Hmm, so that's it, eh? Put her head at the swell, four points off the course. Well, it's just for a while, sir. A swell as high as this can't last long. That stands to reason. Mr. Jukes, take a look at the barometer. Good Lord. Yes, exactly. It's a dead calm outside, isn't it? There's not a breath of air stirring, sir. Only that cross swell. I've been reading in the book here about storms. It's a funny thing. If a man believed everything written down here, he'd spend half his life running to get behind the weather. If I was to go by what this fellow says, I'd alter my course and come booming into Fuchau from the north. Four days late, 300 extra miles in distance, and a pretty bill for coal on top of it. I'll tell you, Mr. Jukes... If I knew every word in here was gospel true, I couldn't bring myself to do that. No, sir, I guess not. And how's a man to know if the book is right? If you dodge around a spot of dirty weather, how do you ever find out it was there in the first place? Answer me that. No, Mr. Jukes, there's things that a man can't get from books. I've thought it all out this afternoon. We'll hold her steady as she goes. Whatever you say, sir, you're the captain. I guess I'd... Better write up the log. I'm going on watch. Good. I dare say we're heading into something a bit out of the ordinary. Call me at once if anything shows up in the night, Mr. Jukes. All right, sir. I'll see to it. And, uh, Mr. Jukes. Yes, sir. If you're going into the chart room, please close that blinking door. I can't stand here a door banging. Yes, sir. Eight p.m. Swell increasing. Ship laboring heavily and taking water on all decks. Still a dead calm and very hot. Batten down the coolies for the night. The barometer is still falling. All appearances indicate an approaching typhoon. Steady as she goes, that's all we can do. Hi, sir. 
I'll show a try to. Well, do the best you can. Aye, aye, sir. Mr. Dukes. Mr. Dukes. Aye, Captain, I'm coming. Stand by. Over here, Mr. Dukes. Starboard bridge rail. Right, sir. Coming over. Uh, Mr. Dukes, why didn't you call me? Oh, there was no warning, sir. It is all of a sudden, about five minutes ago, blasted right out of a dead calm. Mm, the book was right in some parts, anyhow. How's it going in the wheelhouse? Agnes, look out, sir. Hang on. What about Hackett? He's on the wheel. Second is putting up shutters. The window glass will go if she starts breaking any higher. Oh, she'll break higher, Mr. Jukes. What's higher? It's a happy thought. You haven't altered a course? No, sir. Heading straight at the wind. Good. Nothing else we can do, Mr. Jukes. Understand? Yes, sir. Some things a man can't find in books. Just keep her at it. That's all. Hammering through a mess like this, you're bound to leave something behind. Stands to reason. Hold hard. Ah. She's still rising, all right. That one broke over the wheelhouse. We're done for, for sure. What's that, Mr. Jukes? You say something? I said. Is there any chance at all, sir? Can she live through it? She may. We can hope so long, at least. She's a good ship. That's all a man can ask. What's that? Somebody yelling? It's below us on the foredeck, sir. Up here, starboard bridge. Man shouldn't be on that deck unless he has to. It's a bit dangerous. You there, sir? Over here. What's the trouble, bosun? In Chinese, sir. Wait, hang on. The Chinese. What about them? They've all fetched away, sir. One big lump. It's horrible. Yeah, now what do you mean, fetched away? Rolling around in a hole in one big lump. Screaming like blooming maniacs, sir. All adrift. Mr. Dukes? Yes, sir. I can't make head nor tail of this. I guess you'd better go below and see to it. Put things in order. Well, well, what shall I do, sir? I can't tell you up here. Find out what's wrong. Straighten it out. That's all. That's all. Take the bosun with you. I'm going to try for the wheelhouse. All right, sir. Come on, bosun. Aye, right, sir. Just straighten it out. That's all. Well, how's the wheel stand, Hackett? As steady as she goes, sir. You realize, of course, we've hit a typhoon? Aye, sir. Sorry I can't give you relief. Can you manage a while longer? I'll hold it to the course, sir. As long as there's a ship beneath her. Sir, that won't be long. Oh, anything wrong, second? Wrong! We're all as good as dead men, that's what's wrong. Oh, now, I wouldn't say that. She's still afloat. Ah. And we've got it lucky here on deck. Plenty of chance to see what's coming before it hits us. A man always feels better when he can see what's coming. But it's a different story down below there. Not having knowledge of what's going on. Not knowing if we're afloat or sinking. Now, there's the lads that's got it tough. The ones down there in the engine room. Steam to drop? 
Here, ride that throttle, Field. Can't let her rip her shaft out when she breaks clear of those wells. Hello, Bridge. Hello, Bridge. Confound, why don't they answer the speaking to them? Can't tell if they're dead or alive up there. Hello. Hello. Yes, Mr. Rout. Captain, how is it on deck? Bad enough. It depends mostly on you. Well, so far so good. We're holding a full head of steam. Good. We'll need it. Don't let me drive her under, sir. Have to take a chance. Can't see 20 feet up here. Got to keep moving enough to steer. I understand, sir. Count on us. Getting smashed about a good deal. We're doing fairly well. As long as the wheelhouse stands. Wait. Wait. Hold on. Hello. Hello. Is that the captain, Mr. Rod? I've got to talk to him right away. Wait a minute, Jukes. Something's happened up there. Hello. Hello, Bridge. You still there, Mr. Rout? Right. Anything wrong, sir? No, not now. The second mate's lost, though. Overboard? Oh, no. Lost his nerve. Awkward circumstance. Had to knock him out, too. Too bad. You hear that, Jukes? Yes, let me talk to him. Captain, Jukes here. The bosun and I just took a look at the tween deck. It's them bloomin' boxes, sir. They've all broke loose and smashed to bits. And the coolies are fighting like crazy men for them silver dollars that's rolling around. Fighting? We can't have fighting on board, Mr. Jukes. There are 200 of them, sir. They're all trying to kill each other. I can't have it, Mr. Jukes. Put a stop to it at once, do you hear? Put a stop to it? How? They're crazy mad. They'll kill anybody that came on that deck. Your second in command, Mr. Jukes. Use your authority. Make it clear to them. We simply can't have fighting. Make it clear to them? Oh, yes, sir. After that, you'd better gather up all the money. I can't have it lying about on the deck. Get the bosun to help you. Wait, here it comes. Gee, Arsifat! There's the one that does it. That, uh, that must have swept the deck from stem to stern. Hello! Hello, Captain McGuire. You all right up there? Everything's all right, Mr. Rout. All the boats and half the starboard rail carried away. Nothing serious. There's nothing to worry about, Mr. Rout. Carry on. Nothing to worry about. Carry on. <laughs> hey, you're all right, Captain. As you say, sir, carry on. Carry on? Hey, now, hey, now, where are you going? Where are you going, eh? Where do you think I'm going, you loudmouthed old windbag? Out on that deck to get myself murdered. Ha, <laughs> <laughs> Nothing serious, Jukes. Nothing to worry about. The whole blooming world's falling apart, and I'm out picking up silver dollars. Captain's orders. Come on, Bosun. <laughs> Don't miss any old jukes. Carry on, boy. Carry on. <laughs> No help for it. Our gallant skipper says to stop the fighting. Use our authority. All right, then, quiet down. Come on, bosun. Aye, sir. Stow it there, you fools. Cut it out now, do you hear me? Authority, huh? They're clean out of their heads. We gotta drive them to the bulkhead. Back up, now. Hey, none of that. Stay to it, bosun. You gotta show them what for, nothing else to do. Back up there. Captain's orders, you know. Follow me, Boston. I'll give you, sir. Don't. I was just thinking, sir. Yeah, what about it? Back there, no fighting allowed. Skipper's orders. I was just thinking. Oh, don't. What if me old lady could see me now? Uh, she'd say, oh, you jolly sailor lad. Keep over there. Jam him up, Boston. Into the bulkhead. 
Captain. Where are you, Captain? Over here, Mr. Jupes. Uh, you got everything cleared up down below? Oh, oh yes. We we took care of everything, sir. I thought you would. The wind fell all at once, stopped cold. It's been like this for ten minutes now. If you uh, think it was an easy job to bring that mob under control... Uh, the coolies? Oh, I dare say it wasn't. Had to do what's fair by them, though. Uh, Mr. Jukes, that barometer in there stands at the lowest point I've ever seen a glass in my life. You mean there'll be more of it? The worst yet, according to the book. It'll break sudden now. Any minute. A puff or two of wind, and then it hits. She's taken a horrible beating, sir. She has indeed. And she's in for a worse one. We haven't much chance, have we, sir? She may come through it. She's a good ship. There's the first puff. Mm, it'll hit us hard when it comes. You left them pretty safe, did you? The coolies? We strung lifelines, gives them something to hold on to. Good. I'd like to give them all the chance we can, whatever happens. Oh, they'll be all right, sir. I broke out rifles for eight of the crew, put them to guarding all the companionways leading off the team deck. You armed the crew, Mr. Jukes? Oh, sure. We won't have any trouble with them now, sir. Mr. Jukes, please have those rifles returned to the magazines at once. What? There'll be work for every man aboard in a few minutes. I can't spare seamen to stand around and hold rifles when it isn't necessary. Isn't necessary? Don't you realize those savages will think we stole their money? But they'll tear us to bits if they ever get out of that deck. Oh, I think they'll understand we're dealing fair by them. Collect the rifles, Mr. Jukes. Captain, it's suicide. The best thing we can do is turn the whole mess over to the authorities and food chow. If we ever get there. Well, I don't know. I figure that when anything happens on shipboard, it's up to me to settle it on shipboard. Part of the duties of commanding a vessel, Mr. Jukes. I've no doubt I'll be able to reach an understanding with these men later. Understanding? You ought to have seen him a while ago when me and the bosun was down there. Lost their heads a bit, I guess. No wonder at that one. Here she comes. Pick up those rifles, Mr. Jukes, and something else. Yes, Captain. If anything happens to me, you'll be in charge. Only advice, keep her facing it. Best way to get through, facing it. That's enough for any man. All right, Captain, I'll remember. And one thing more, Mr. Jukes. Yes, sir. Something that always helps at sea is to keep a cool head. Just keep a cool head. Oh, no, keep a cool head. A stitch in time saves nine, a rolling stone. What in the name of heaven do you do with a man like that? It was a clear blue sky and bright sunshine the morning we steamed into Fuchow Harbor. Mr. Rout was leaning on a hatch combing, smoking a pipe, and the bosun lounged on the foredeck, waiting to pick up a line from the wharf. And the captain? Well, he was engaged in the most unusual right. occupation. Keep moving. He was sitting at a table on the foredeck, handing out silver dollars to them blinking coolies, all divided up even, the same amount to each one. Craziest thing you ever heard of in your life. You see, the way the captain figured it, since those blighters had all worked for two years at the same rate of pay, then their savings ought to all be about equal. As you can see, of course, that wasn't necessarily true by any means. wasn't even legal. But you couldn't tell him anything. Well, that's that. Uh, Mr. Jukes. Yes, sir. Coming, Captain. Well, Mr. Jukes, I've disposed of our little collection of silver dollars. Now, that's great. 
Only wait till those boys get ashore and file claims against us. Oh, no, they won't do that. As a matter of fact, they were quite pleased at having it arranged that way. Figured it might avoid a lot of arguments later. They, uh, they sent a spokesman to thank me. Well, I'll be... Mr. Dukes, you may as well give all the hands six hours leave before we start working the cargo. Whatever you say, Captain. Oh, yes, and uh, before the carpenter leaves, I wish you'd have him fix the lock on that port cabin door. What? That seems to have got broken somehow. Uh, during the storm, I suppose. I, I can't stand to hear the door banging, Mr. Jukes. Aye, sir. I, um... I don't suppose it matters that the ship is battered from stem to stern, half her topside carried away, and smashed till she looks like a blooming Tinson freighter. Mr. Jukes, I don't understand you. You don't understand me, sir? Do you understand that we've come through the worst typhoon on the China Seas in 20 years? We're the only ship that got through? It's true. I suppose we were a bit lucky. Lucky, sir? With 200 murdering cutthroats running loose aboard and the very heavens doing their worst? We had a job to do and we did it. That's all, Mr. Jukes. That's the important thing. Yes, sir. That's, uh, that's all. That's all, he says. A job to do. A bit lucky. What can you do with a man as thick as that? But then, as I started to turn away, Captain McWhirr said something else that surprised me. With emotion wrung from the very bottom of his soul, he, he uttered words I never thought I'd hear coming from so, so stupid a man. But I'm glad we brought her through, Mr. Jukes. Truly I am. She's a good ship, Mr. Jukes. A good ship. I should have hated to lose her. I, I should have hated to lose her. Typhoon by Joseph Conrad was adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield and produced and directed by William N. Robeson with Frank Lovejoy as Jukes, Raymond Lawrence as Captain McQuirr, and Cy Kendall as Ralph the Engineer. The special musical score was conceived and conducted by Cy Fewer. Escape is presented by the Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations each week at this time. Next week, we invite you to escape to Paris of 500 years ago in Robert Louis Stevenson's story of a fascinating adventure, the Sire de Maltois d'Or. And so good night until next week at this time, when again it will be time to escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Hi, everyone. The holiday season is upon us, and I'll be glued to the telly for BritBox on many a night. I've already shared with you the fact that I keep up with Father Brown and Poirot at BritBox. I also check out their new stuff, like the new series Archie, which tells the story of Archie Leach, otherwise known to millions of filmgoers as Cary Grant. This story comes from his daughter Jennifer Grant and ex-wife Diane Cannon. It's a series. The performance of Jason Isaacs, who plays Cary Grant, is top-notch. I highly recommend it. You can only find it on my favorite TV, BritBox. Sign up to BritBox today to stream Archie and other fan favorites today from any device. I have a special, limited-time offer for my U.S. and Canadian listeners. 
Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for a monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use my promo code 1001STORIES at checkout. Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Just use promo code 1001STORIES at BritBox.com. Try it. You'll like it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Escape. Escape tonight to ancient Egypt. The Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations presents Escape, a new series of programs of which this, the sixth, is The Ring of Thought by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Wherever the English language is spoken, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is known for two things. His immortal character, Sherlock Holmes, and his unshakable belief in life beyond the grave. So great is the stature of Sherlock Holmes that Conan Doyle's earlier stories are all but forgotten. Stories like The Ring of Thought, which so clearly anticipates the author's later fascination with spiritualism. We invite you now to escape to ancient Egypt and The Ring of Thought, an adventure told in the words of John Van Siddart Smith, British Egyptologist. I arrived in Paris on the 314 Express from Dieppe and went immediately to my hotel in the Rue de Lafitte. My actions so far had worked out according to my planned schedule. I slept for exactly two hours, got up and dressed, donned a greatcoat, walked down the Avenue de l'Opera, and entered a side door of the Louvre. Once inside and amid surroundings entirely familiar to me, I made my way immediately to the chamber of Egyptian relics, or more specifically, to the cabinet in that chamber which contained the El Kab collection of papyri. Drawing out the particular roll I wished, I placed it on a nearby table, sat down, began to study it, when I noticed one of the museum attendants who was polishing some brasswork across the room. His face struck me as being curiously Egyptian. On sudden impulse, I decided to cross the room and speak to him. Approaching closer, I was impressed at once by the appearance of his skin, Drawn tautly across temple and cheek, it seemed as glazed and as shiny as varnished parchment, and out of narrowed slits there glowed two green and vitreous eyes, misty with a dry shininess, eyes of a kind never seen in a human head before. I, I beg your pardon, I need one of the papyri from the Memphis collection. Could you tell me where it is? You'll find it in the last cabinet at the end of the room, monsieur. Hmm, thank you. Uh, you're Egyptian, aren't you? No, monsieur. I... I am a Frenchman. But, uh, Oh, I thought perhaps... If monsieur the... will excuse me now, I have other work to do. 
I went back to the table and took up the papyrus I had been studying before. But my former calmness in translating the intricate hieroglyphics was gone, and out of the depths of my mind welled a feeling of terrible familiarity. I concentrated more deeply on my studies, pushing aside those thoughts conducive to mental turmoil, and at last, worn out by the inward struggle, I fell asleep. I awoke with a start, not remembering where I was. It was quite dark for a moment. Then gradually my eyes focused on the glints of moonlight reflected from the glass tops of specimen tables, from the shiny varnish of the mummy cases. And I realized with a feeling of sudden dread that I was alone in the Egyptian room of the Museum of the Louvre, locked in for the night. I saw at that moment, approaching through the moonlit halls, a dim yellow flame. Nearer and nearer it came until I could perceive above it, as though floating in the air, the eerie glistening face of the man I'd spoken to earlier. I shrank into the dark shadow of my corner, and he passed without seeing me, stopping before the mummy cases a few yards away. Scarcely daring to breathe, I watched him place the light on a table and begin feverishly to examine the tags on the specimens. In a moment, he gave a cry of delight, and uh, drawing one of the mummies from its resting place, laid it on the table in the full glow of the lantern and set to work. He was unwinding the wrappings from the head of the corpse. A few turns revealed a tumbled cascade of black curls, a few more the snow-white brow, then the delicate nostrils, and at last, the full, warm, passionate lips, the face of the most beautiful woman the world has ever seen. Ah, ma pauvre petite, so long it has been, so very long. You must forgive me, beloved. I could hardly believe my eyes. The man was obviously in love with this mummy. After a while, he left the body, turning his attention to one of the glass cases filled with an assortment of rings. From a pocket of his garment, He'd taken a small glass bottle containing some kind of liquid, and he used this now to test the rings, rejecting them one after another. Then at last... This is it. It's the one. At last I found it. The ring of thought. In his excitement, he dropped the bottle, and I gasped in surprise at the sudden sound. Who's there? I, I, I beg your pardon. Oh. So it is you. No, do not move. I, I, I didn't mean to spy on you. I, I fell asleep. Who are you, monsieur? I am John Vansittart Smith, a student of Egyptology. No matter. You will observe this knife. Yes. Had I discovered you five minutes ago, monsieur, I should have slain you without a word. What? As it is now, I have found the ring. But I warn you not to interfere with me in any way. Uh, I really haven't the slightest intention of it. After all, I'm only here by accident. Perhaps. I say, you shouldn't have unwrapped that mummy, you know. It's starting to deteriorate already. Oh, my beloved. Yes, before our eyes, the lovely face was crumbling, the hair falling away, the skin shriveling and cracking, oh, the lips fading. The man hovered over the decaying body a moment, murmuring sorrowfully. And then he turned again. No matter. 
that will not make the least difference in a little while. Of what importance is the dead shell, so long as her spirit waits for me at the other side of the veil? What are you talking about? What is it you're proposing to do? Tonight, monsieur, I have ended a quest and broken at last the ancient curse. Nothing now can prevent my joining her. Uh, are you actually claiming that you... you knew her? She was Atma, daughter of the governor of Abaris. And both she and I lived in the reign of Tutmosis 3,500 years ago. You're obviously mad. Perhaps, but not in the way you think. There may be design in this, your coming here. It may be decreed that I should leave some account behind as a warning to other mortals as rash as myself. Very well, then. So be it. I am, as you surmised, an Egyptian. My name was Sasra, and my father had been the chief priest of Osiris in the great temple of Abaris, which stood in those days upon the bubastic branch of the Nile. I was brought up in the temple and was trained in all those mystic arts and sciences known to the priesthood. Of all the mysteries that I studied, none intrigued me more than the question of life and death. And even to this question, in time, I found an answer. But for a man to live beyond his allotted span of years, Master Sastra, the gods have not so ordained it. <laughs> then perhaps they will have to revise their ordinances now that I've discovered their secret. It is not well to jest. I tremble, for though I've labored in your service for a year, I knew not the goal of your endeavors. May Osiris forgive me. Ah, oh, what a pity you look upon it this way. For I'd thought that in return for your assistance, I should grant you, too, the gift of centuries of indestructible life. I would not have it, Master Sostra. And I beg that you, too, forego it. Forgo it? I introduced the fluid into my veins one month ago. Oh, no. Then you are lost indeed. Lost? <laughs> Do you call this being lost? Let's see now. My heart should be about here. Oh, that knife. No, don't. Master, you... You've killed yourself. Not at all. See? It bleeds a little. But in a while, the wound will close up. And that's all. You... It's... It's immortality. No. I shall not live forever. But for 5,000, perhaps 6,000 years, I shall be immune from all dangers of violence, poison, disease, starvation. You... you cannot die? Now, with this fluid in my veins, nothing, nothing in this world can end my life. Sothra? Sothra, are you there? Someone calls. It's Parmes, the priest of Thoth. In here, my friend. Enter. Oh, greetings, Sothra, master of sciences. 
and his worthy assistant. If you will excuse me, masters, I go to make my peace with Osir. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with your helper, Sosra? The thought of a well-nigh eternal life has frightened him into gibbering superstition. Then you still believe in the discovery? Believe in it? Parmi's my friend. Look. By the heavens, what a scar. It pierces the heart. It was done only a moment ago with this knife. Hmm? See? I can put it back in the wound. <coughs> so. You... You suffered no ill effects? None whatever. And if I... If I turn the knife in the wound, that would do you no harm? You may try it. <coughs> I feel nothing. I walked last week in the snake pits by the river, was struck innumerable times. It caused no harm. By the great Anubis. Will you have it then? Out of all Egypt, I have chosen only you, my friend, to share the gift. But the choice is yours. I'd be a fool to refuse, Sostra. I'll have it. And now, what must I do? First, we must open a vein in your wrist, like this. <clears throat> oh. Then, we drip the elixir. Slowly into your bloodstream. Steady now. I... I don't feel anything. There is no sensation. It is done. So simple? There is nothing more? That's all. And now done, it can never be changed. It seems incredible. Supernatural. It's no more than a chemical discovery. But with it, while all this about us passes away, you and I, Parmes, will live on for 50 centuries... Think of it, my friend. Five thousand years of life. Five thousand years. Only the two of us. Listen, that noise. Some procession must be passing in the street. I have an idea what it may be. Come on over to the window. Clear the road. Stand back and make way for the loveliest pearl of Thebes. She's being carried on the shoulders of slaves, Parmes. She must be some woman of rank. Her name is Atma. She's the daughter of the new governor. Her curtains are drawn back. Perhaps we'll have a look at her. Oh, Parmes. Mm-hmm. Is she not beautiful? She is the most desirable, the only utterly desirable woman I've ever seen in my life. Yes, I saw her yesterday at the temple. Then you're most fortunate, my friend. You've had 24 more hours to dream about her than I have had. I must know her, Parmes. I must make her love me. I'll send gifts. I'll call on her tomorrow. Oh, it has to be then. I couldn't wait any longer than tomorrow. A visitor calls upon the beloved of the universe. He is Sastra, priest of the temple of Osiris. Well, bid him approach. Enter, Sastra. Oh, most beautiful of all Egypt, I cast myself at your feet. That's a noble ambition. But wouldn't it be much better to sit here beside me and watch the fish in the fountain? Much better. You will all withdraw, except you, my girl. Play something for us at a distance. Well, Sastra... For so I understand you're called. Am I to deem this an official visit by a master of the temple? Oh, Atma, my beloved. That is, no. It is not official. Oh? Perhaps then you wish to see my father, 
on personal business of your own. Oh, no. No. I shall pay my respects to him at some other time. Then could it be I you've come to see? Yes. Yes. And since you've said the visit's not official, your reason must be a personal one. Oh, it is. Well, what is it? Atma. I have known women who are famed for their beauty throughout the valley of the Nile. But not one, not all of them, are so lovely as you. How thoughtful of you to come here and tell me. Atma, I've no wish to intrude my desires, my hopes, beyond such extent as you may wish to hear. But, oh, I'm finding this very difficult. <laughs> Sasra. I've been told that you're a master of science, that you've unlocked the secrets of the universe, learned all the mysteries of nature itself. Your informants have been most generous. Yes, I'm inclined to think so. What? Because you've discovered nothing at all about such a simple thing as a woman's heart. What do you mean? I come from Thebes, and the women of Thebes are warm-blooded, passionate. And we know what we want. Atma. I saw you first three days ago. Why do you think I told my bearers to carry me down that street beneath your window? And so, miracle of all miracles, Atma loved me. Worshipping the very ground her feet had trod upon, I lived through those glorious weeks... And with it all, our love grew apace. But one thing bore heavily upon my mind, and I came to speak of it more often to my beloved as we sat and talked by the fountain in her garden. Look, Sasra. See how the stars shine from the water? Yes, Atma. More lovely even than their glow in the heavens. Are they very old, the stars? Very old, beloved. As old as time. And they'll go on gleaming there, long years after you and I are gone and forgotten. Atma, my dearest, we've talked of this before, and I know it distresses you to think of it. But no, Sasra. Tonight everything is beautiful. We shall not talk of death. Not of death, but of life. They're only counterparts of one another. Oh, if we could only live together, grow old together, and die in the same instant. But how much better to live and love 5,000 years? Will you not do it? Does so long a time seem too great for the love you feel for me? Beloved, no. The time would pass in an instant. And the loss then be no easier born than now. Then why draw back? Will you not take the elixir now, tonight? I'm afraid, Sasra. We'll anger the gods. We will outlive the gods. They will have their revenge. Whatever occurred, we'd be together. Yes, I've thought of that. Were it not so, I'd not even consider doing it. Then you'll do it. Atma, you'll do it. I need more time, only a little more to assure myself. How much? Tonight, Sasra. Give me tonight. Every hour you live without the elixir is another hazard. All right, then. Tonight. And may Isis herself guard over you until the fluid courses in your veins. And 
And so, on that accursed night, I went to my chambers and slept. And while I slept, the moon of Isis shone over the delta of the Nile, shone but to light as foul a scene as was ever done on earth. Some hours had passed Master away. Master Sosra, Master Sosra, awaken, Master, awaken mm -hmm. at once. You know, who is it? Oh, what a terrible oh. thing has transpired this night. You, you're one of Atma's slaves. Why do you come here? Oh, Master, Master. What has happened? What's the matter? Speak. It is she, the light of the world. Tell me what has happened to her. Master, Master, brigands came in the night. She... She is dead. You lie. You lie. Oh, Sosra, the slave speaks the truth. Parmi's my friend. What foul jokes behind these words of his? It's not a joke. Atma is dead. You, slave, depart from us. Yes, master. By your gracious leave, I depart. Such a thing cannot be. Oh, of course. The two of you planned it together, sought to frighten me out of my wits. It's very amusing, really. But I was terrified for a moment. Atma no longer lives. She was stabbed to death only a short while ago. No. Oh, no, no. She can't be dead. She is dead, Sosra, and for all eternity. I must go to her. Something, surely something can be done. I killed her. What is it? What has happened? I killed her. Oh. I struck her through the heart with this very knife. You? You, Parmi? Why? Because she loved you. Why? And because I loved her. You, my friend. She would not look at me. And for that, you would lose her to both of us forever? To both of us, Sosra? I think not. By the living Osiris, give me that knife. That's it. Strike. <coughs> again. <coughs> Here's the heart. Here, strike. <coughs> again and again, Sosra. Wait. What foolishness. I cannot kill you. You're wrong, Sosra. You have killed me. Those were grievous blows. But the fluid, that cursed elixir of life, it runs in your veins as well as mine. True. But in mine is also the antidote. You lie. There is no antidote. Yes, day and night, these many weeks, I've worked and I've found it. You couldn't have. You. <clears throat> is there more of it? Yes, a very little... But you'll never find it. Where is it? Tell me where it is. In the ring, Sasra. In the ring of Thoth. And you'll never find I it. I will. I will. I must. Go on. Live. Live your 50 centuries. And every hour of them, think. It was your hand that struck me down with the same knife that took her from you. Think while I go to join her. Oh, no. You're not dead. You're not! No! 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 For months, I searched the papers, test tubes, and the chemical flasks in the chambers of the dead priest of Thoth. Searched and found nothing. I sifted the sands where he'd walked, questioned his slaves and servants, and learned nothing. Every moment of my life, my terrible and unwanted life, 
was devoted to an unceasing hunt for the ring of thought, and all to no avail. And in time, a horde of barbarians overran the city of Abaris, and the sands of the desert buried forever the last of my hopes. And so began the deadly march of the centuries. How can you know how terrible a thing time is? You, who've experienced only the narrow course between the cradle and the grave. I've floated down the whole stream of history. I have traveled in all lands, and I have dwelt with all nations. Every tongue is the same to me. I need not tell you how slowly the centuries drifted by. Centuries without end. Years without number. And so I came to be one day, a few weeks past, in San Francisco where I came across a certain item in a newspaper. Among recent discoveries in Lower Egypt is an unopened mummy case containing, according to the inscription on the outside, the body of the daughter of the governor of Abaris in the days of Tutmosis. In the same burial crypt, dropped into a crevice between the stones, was found a large platinum ring of singular design. Both specimens have been sent for examination to the Louvre in Paris. So, I presume you came here to Paris, obtained this position of attendant in the Louvre with the idea of... Only yesterday, Monsieur Smith. As you may imagine, I had little difficulty in convincing the director of my knowledge of Egyptian relics. The ring, then? The one I saw you remove from the case is the Ring of Thoth? Without question. You've discovered how the ring must be used? The secret is obvious. See? The stone is hollow, and drops of liquid move within it. Have you considered the possibility that this uh, antidote may not perform the function which has been claimed for it? It will, monsieur. And there'll be no need of a knife to strike me down. My death was due in a time long past. And only this damnable fluid that runs through my veins supports the weight of my years. I delay no longer. I go to join her where she waits for me in death. No, don't. Oh. Too late. I've broken the gem. I've taken the antidote. I stood and watched him with a terrible fascination, but without pity and without compassion. He turned away from me and reeled toward the mummy he'd left on the table across the room. But even as he turned, the parchment skin of his face cracked and shredded. Discolored lips shriveled away from the yellow teeth. The vitreous eyes withered into nubs of formless plasm, and the full weight of his 3,500 years descended on him in an instant. I left that room of death 
and walked over the marble floors toward the exit, my footsteps echoing through the empty halls, even as they had echoed for so long in the corridors of time. And I wondered as I walked if Sosra knew now what I knew, that the antidote in the ring of Thoth can bring death to the body, but not to the soul. And I wondered in what cloak of flesh his spirit now dwelt, just as I, Pami's priest of Thoth, had for the last 40 years of my 3,500 dwelt in the body of John Vansittart Smith. and so red. Well, now, he's only two days old. But he doesn't look a bit like either his father or me. Give him time, my dear. All babies look pretty much alike when they're first born. Well, I don't know. It, his eyes are... Oh, it, it's silly, of course, but he looks like an Egyptian. Produced and directed by William N. Robeson, The Ring of Thoth by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield with Jack Webb as Sorcerer, Thomas Freebairn Smith as Van Siddart Smith, and Joan Banks as Atma. The special musical score was conceived and conducted by Cy Fewer. Escape is presented by the Columbia Broadcasting System and its affiliated stations each week at this time. Next week, we invite you to escape to a raft in the South Pacific with John Russell in his unforgettable story of human frailty, The Fourth Man. And so good night until next week at this time, when again it will be time to escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for joining us at 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. This is your host, John Hagedorn. We try to alternate weeks with two episodes of Escape one week, followed by two episodes of Suspense the following week. New episodes of 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense are available every Sunday at noon Eastern Time. We always appreciate reviews. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.